Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Old Everald and Young James Talk Politics. We're recording at five o'clock instead of our usual eight o'clock. Uh, this is a PM episode, um, but I'm here with Everald Compton as always. How are you, Ev? Well, I'm real good, and I apologise for the delay. I actually went to a breakfast with my wife this morning. Occasionally, old chauvinists like me have got to do the right thing, and so, you know, that, that's what happened, but she's quite uh, delighted that we fitted in tonight, and so... I want you to lead off with, you know, there's so many funny things happening this week, James. I need you to lead off and get us into the guts of it all. What do you, what do you want to talk about first? So uh, regular listeners of our podcast probably bang their heads against the door frame how much we talk about independence on this podcast. Um, we bring them up every week because, um, as, as listeners would know, Everall um, is a huge fan of the independence you are. Um, and this week in the Saturday paper, just today, I believe, a uh, new polling came out showing uh, Zoe Daniel, the independent voices candidate to unseat Tim Wilson in Goldstein, uh, moderate liberal Tim Wilson, uh, looks like she is ahead. Um, Dr Monique Ryan and Dr Sophie Scamps, who are going after moderate liberals Josh Frydenberg and Jason Falinski in Kuyong and McKellar, respectively, in Melbourne and the Northern Beaches, uh, look like they're pretty much in a dead heat and could even be over the top. And this is in addition to, of course, the past few weeks, which has seen Zali Stegall solidify her popularity in Moringa and Dr. Not Dr. Sorry, and Allegra Spender uh, look like she's going to unseat moderate liberal Dave Sharma in Malcolm Turnbull's old seat at Wentworth. So, Everall, pretty much uh, since last year, you've been talking about this wave of independence that's going to unseat um, moderate liberals in climate conscious seats. And admittedly, I have to say the caveat that individual seat polling is sort of dicey because of sample size issues. So, it's not gospel. But um, you must be very pleased to see these results. Well, well, pleased in the sense that I think there's going to be a, a reformation of Australian politics in, in two ways. One, cleaning out the dead wooden rubbish in the political parties. And the second one is the rise of women in politics in Australia, which is the main thing that interested me in this. But... It, it, it doesn't surprise me that this surge is, is, is happening for a couple of reasons. I think people just want to reject political parties. A lot of people have been watching with disgust political parties and their power place for years, and they're saying, well, this might be the time we'll kick them in the backside. But in addition to that, people who don't like Morrison are only going in part to Albo. They're going somewhere else. Now, previously, they went for... Palmer and Hanson, but where there's a good independent, they're going to independence rather than Palmer and Hanson, which is a good thing. But coming back to the Pacific you've got, and there's a few other ones we might talk about, let's take them, you know, one by one. The bloke most likely to fall to an independent uh, uh, anywhere in uh, Australia is, is Tim Wilson down in Goldstein. Uh, and I think he's gone for all seasons. What we've got to realise is that with the independents, Provided they come second, they don't have to win the primary vote. Provided they come come second, they're going to get the Labor and Green preferences rather than the Liberals are going to get them. And so all they got to do is come second, and they're over the line. If they happen to come first, it's, well, it's all over anyway. It's going to be a landslide. But Tim Wilson is gone, and he deserves to go because he's been one of the greatest spreaders of disinformation that I've come across in a long time and very unstable in various ways. And 
And Zoe Daniel is an excellent candidate, absolutely excellent candidate. Now, moving to Josh Frydenberg, I've got some personal problems with that because Josh Frydenberg has been a friend of mine for a long time and I respect him greatly. This doesn't stop me from looking at political reality. And I have family living in Kuyong and friends living in Kuyong, quite a number of friends. And, and they tell me that Monique and uh, Brian, I think that's the correct name, uh, she's got more core flutes and signs up than anyone has ever seen in Kuyong in history. You can't, you know, take a breath without turning in any direction. And, and there she is. In addition, she's a very formidable candidate in in all sorts of ways. And the whole character of that seat has changed since Robert Menzies had it. The Grand Isle houses have been going and been replaced by trendy townhouses uh, uh, with all the Chardonnay drinking trendies turning up in them, and they, they don't vote Liberal. And so it's not that Josh Frydenberg has necessarily gone bad. The character of the electorate changes every time. The green vote goes up there every time, which is extraordinary in Bob Menzies' old seat. And so Josh is in trouble, and I think there's a chance he might lose. I'll be very sad about that, but that's that's the reality of it all. Now, what do you think about those two seats yourself, Jack? Um, well, what I'll note about those two is, and I saw this on Twitter um, yesterday, and the amount of times I've been in a sentence on the show and I saw this on Twitter is really bad. But um, uh, I think they're both very scared, um, Tim Wilson and Josh Frydenberg. Um Dr. Ryan and Zoe Daniel are both incredible candidates. But what we've seen in all the, the seats um, where these teal independents are running, um, we've seen, A, uh, really sexist attacks from everyone both inside the Liberal Party and the Liberal Party's media friends, like in the Australian and that, um, trying to insinuate that these uh, voices independents are somehow like being puppeteered by wealthy climate activist um, Simon Holmes Accord which is an incredibly, incredibly pejorative thing to say because they're strong, independent women fighting for their community in their own right and they're not having their strings pulled by some shadowy donor. Um, and I can tell you from the ones I know, while they've gladly been delighted to uh, receive money from Simon Holmes Accord, any politician wants money from a legitimate uh, source. They also happen to be, most of them are all passionate believers in climate change as he is and, so there's nothing sort of greatly, uh, you know, greatly sinister, um, uh, you know, about you know about that. And 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 and, uh, and, and I think this is the one I've said. I'm helping a number of independent candidates, as you know, and it's a delightful experience. And they're all female. The one, oh, one, there's one male, but 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 they, they, they are delightful people. And when I talk to them, I say to myself, they're going to enhance the parliament, you know, in you know in the you know, in the whole uh, in, in the whole thing, and so so we're dealing with a, a an equation here that's um, uh, that, you know that's in, in, you know that's important, and 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 uh, and I think that uh, 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 they're the sort of candidates that, that that people want to see around the place, and so I, I'm pleased that it's happening. But but a, a, a lot of votes from they're being helped by the fact a lot of votes. People wanting to leave uh, Morrison aren't going to Alba. They're, they're sort of going to independence, and uh, mm -hmm. you know, and that that makes it there. And and, and so the other ones are, are, are sort of you know going in a similar direction. The, the one in Wentworth, uh, uh, Spender, uh, 
tremendous candidate, and she's really knocking Dave Sharma around there, and he's running an awful campaign of panicking, you know, and, and he's attacking her relentlessly. Now, I've said to all my, my friends, independents, you're winning. As soon as the Liberals and Labor attack you, you're winning. The worst thing that can happen to you is you get ignored. So if, if they attack you, laugh like hell, you're winning, you know, when, you know, when that, that sort of thing uh, happens. Now, I think Trent Zimmerman's in trouble in North Sydney. He's not a bad bloke, Trent, but he's in trouble. And, and that's why they're just about, that's McKellar, where a fellow called Jason Falansky is. Remember, now he's not a bad bloke, Jason. I had a drink with him one night in Parliament, but the trend is running away, and they're quite close to Ziggy Stegall, and so all the publicity that hits her hits uh, hits them as well. And, and so it's it's a very interesting phenomenon about how how this is rolling along. Yeah, and I mean, um, as I mentioned before, I really think these inner city moderate liberals are scared. What we saw on Friday was in Goldstein, in Kuyong, in McKellar, in um, Wentworth, um, all seats that we've mentioned with really strong um, voices, independents running, some in Sydney, some in Melbourne. On Friday morning, uh, they all awoke to see all their core flutes plastered with green stickers yeah. as if, like, as to say, you know, these teal um, independents aren't actually um, climate-conscious fiscal moderates, they're secretly socialist Greens agents in disguise trying to scare the rusted-on sort of blue-ribbon liberal voters in those seats. Now, this happened, make no mistake, this wasn't the Greens doing this. Um, well, you, you, you wake up, yeah. you, you wake up this in, in Sydney and Melbourne, they, this went up on, on Friday. This is a coordinated effort from someone to try to associate the teal independence with the Greens as so part of the scare campaign. The blokes who are doing that, though, James, they're getting those, those candidates of sympathy, but a lot of decent people are saying, well, what a rotten thing to do. Whoever did it, what a rotten thing to do. And so what they've done is to get those, those, those candidates a sympathy vote. And, and, uh, and so, they, you know, that's an important thing. But in the Saturday paper, there, uh, there's, a, there's another article about Susie Hopp, the candidate for Green, but was immediately below that one about Josh and Tim Wilson now. Susie Holt's one of the candidates I'm helping, and I'm going there on Tuesday night to be with her with a meeting of farmers out at Pittsworth about the inland run. Now, she's an extraordinarily excellent candidate. They're social worker, uh, well-connected in the community. She, her husband's a doctor. They're, they're very socially well-connected, and, 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 and she's going, but she's being helped by the stupidity of Barnaby Joyce. That seed of groom, and that's my hometown, where I grew up after I left the little town of Linville, I went to Toowoomba, and that seat's been held by conservative parties for 120 years since Federation by about 20% every time. It was the seat that Sir Arthur Fadden, the country party prime minister at one point, that was his seat. And, and, and it, it was country party, national party for about 100 years, and then when a fellow called Ian McFarlane, who became a minister in federal government, when he ran, he moved from the Nationals to the Liberals, and the Nationals got very upset about it, but he became a Liberal. And then when he left, the Nationals have been trying to get it back. And the candidate that's there now, the, the sitting member, a fellow called Hamilton, is a great friend of Matt Canavan, and, 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 and uh, he's part of the Christian right. 
And Barnaby has invited him over to the Nationals and offered him a ministry and all sorts of things if he moved over from the next election. And, and, and the moderate Liberals in Toowoomba have taken great exception to Barnaby coming into town and trying to rifle their seat. And so when I went to a meeting to help Susie Holt a couple of weeks ago, I see a lot, a lot of Liberals that I know in Toowoomba in the meeting. I said, what the hell are you fellas doing here in this independent meeting? And they said, we've left it. We've left. We, we can't put up with this Barnaby nonsense. And so you've got to say to yourself, why the hell would Barnaby do that in an election? It's a bit crazy, isn't it? I mean, he is a bit crazy. And I read that article that you're talking about, the Susie Holt profile today, actually. I yeah. noticed they called you Everald Crompton, not Everald Compton. We'll yeah. have to take that up with them. Yeah, I will. I'll sell <laughs> That'll get some more publicity. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, you're, you're right about Susie. And I mean, like, ha having read that article, it sounds like she's, that groom has become one of those, look, three weeks ago or something on the podcast. We talked about how, well, I talked about, I mentioned how the Greens and the Nationals get 10% of the vote each. That translates to one seat for the Greens and 30 seats for the Nationals. And yeah. it sounds to me like Broome is one of those seats that's become a seat that, because it's such a strong uh, Liberal National seat, um, the Liberals and Nationals have sort of forgotten about the people there. They take it for granted that it's their seat. They take it for granted that every three years, all the farmers um, from Oki and surrounding areas and all the moderates in Woomba will go to the ballot box, tick one for the blue team and leave. Um, even if the local MPs don't actually represent the people, even if the party, the government isn't doing anything for them. And it sounds to me from reading that profile and from having talked to you that um, this is a real seat that, because it's such a strongly held seat, it's just been neglected and forgotten about. True. And look, it, 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 when they lose, and I'm certain Susie's going to win, I'm going out there, I'm going to do my best to make sure she wins. I mean, I mean, it will hit the Conservatives for six. I mean, this is one of their prize chosen. You know, you get that seat, you've got a seat for life. It, it, it'll hit them for six, absolutely hit them for six when, when she wins. And I don't know, you know, you know, you know why they're doing, you know, you know, why on earth it's happening like that. So, now, you, you just mentioned the Greens. If we switch to the Greens, now there's a lot of other... Independence going to win. Over in Perth, Fred Cheney, who was a minister in Malcolm Fraser's government way back, Fred Cheney, great friend of mine, and the first Liberal to openly champion Indigenous people and their rights in, 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 in the, the Conservative Party, as a matter of mind. His daughter is running in Curtin, and I think she's a sitter to win. She's an excellent candidate. She's got a father who's an excellent political strategist who's behind her. And you watch, she'll take that seat over there. You can count that round. The Nationals are going to lose the seat of nickel to a bloke, Rob Priestley, whom I'm helping, first-class fella in, from Shepparton. They're going to get knocked for seat because the Liberals have been silly enough to run a campaign against the Nats. And the Liberals and the Nats are abusing one another in this uh, this independent guy is going to come in the middle. There's some funny things happening in this election. But coming back to the to the Greens now, now Dan, in Queensland, with my home state, and I think it's happening elsewhere, the Green vote is surging here. And, and I think it's surging around Australia because if ever the Greens are going to win a lot of seats in the House of Representatives, it's got to happen now because never in my life has climate change been on the agenda the way it is in this election? And if the Greens don't increase their vote in this election, well, then they're a pack of deals. They're absolutely a pack of deals if they don't 
harmless on that. Now here in Queensland, the green vote is surging for a whole a whole range of reasons, and they might pick up. They could pick up three seats in the Brisbane area uh, itself in the reps, and and over the board in Richmond, which is strange. We used to be real national party territory. The Greens have got a chance of picking up that seat of Richmond, uh, uh, in which uh, the the, uh, uh, the leaders of the National Party, uh, you know, for you know for years. Uh, that was the safest National Party seat in Australia. So some, some extraordinary things happen. It could be that if the Greens vote surges enough, they always get one Senate seat here in Queensland because they get about 10% of the vote, and that's enough with preferences to shut them through. Their Senate vote looks like it could be up near 16% this time, which might haul a second candidate in for them. Uh, and and uh, that, that'll really put the cat amongst uh, the pigeons. And so I think uh, uh, there is a chance that the Greens, if they pick up a few seats around Australia and in the city areas, could wind up in the Senate. Forgetting uh, uh, about the seats in the rest, moving to the Senate. Now, if that vote repeats itself in the Senate, they could end up with the balance of power in the Senate. And people like Jackie Lambie, I happen to, I happen to like Jackie Lambie, People like Jackie Lambie may not have the balance of power anymore in the Senate. It may be the Greens. And how do you make that? And what do you make of that? I mean, um, I think you're right that their vote may well in this election climb. Um, I will note, yeah, that the polling that says the Greens are registering 16 to 18% in Queensland, apparently the highest state in the state-by-state breakdowns for the polling in the country, um, which is obviously very counterintuitive to what people think about Queensland normally. The same caveat I said before with uh, seat-based polling applies to state-based polling too. The sample sizes are small, so the margin of error is really high. Um, so that 21 could mean the Greens are looking at a primary vote of anywhere between like 12 and 22%. Um, I don't expect them to hit 22, um, but you know, could well be wrong. Um, but the yeah, the, I, it's, it's hard to read the tea leaves of the, the state-based and the seat-based polling. But I think you're right. This is like a moment for the Greens to capitalise on. The top Greens candidate in the New South Wales Senate race is David Shoebridge, and he'll get in. Um, and he is an excellent, excellent state senator, David Shoebridge. He's a former lawyer, um, done so much, like, in terms of really um, bringing, like, a progressive legal system mind into practical legislating, um, which, to my mind, is very important because there's, there's lawyer mindset. Um, and then there's lawyer mindset, you know, like, and, and Shoebridge is a very, very smart man who over the course of his career has put his work in the legal industry into good outcomes and aggressive outcomes. And I'm, I'm happy that he's going to be in the federal parliament now. Um, Adam Band, their leader down in, um, down in Melbourne, he might have a new friend if they can knock off the Labor seat of McNamara, um, which is one they're looking to take. Like you said, there are a couple in Brisbane they're looking to take. Um, Tanya Plibersek's seat of Sydney, if Tanya wasn't such like a well-known um, and popular face, um, even she could be in danger given the state seat of Newtown, which is part of Tanya's seat, is Jenny Leong, um, a, a Greens member. So there's certainly... Um, Tanya is not safe. And again, that won't be Tanya. Is not safe. Albo also gets a high green voting granular as well. And, and they both got to watch about, you know, where that happens and where... Preferences go. This is a very volatile election, but let's have a look at some of the sins of the Labor Party and 
and we've talked about Barnaby, Barnaby doing silly things in Toowoomba. In the seat of Fowler, uh, where Christina Keneally was endorsed, overruled the locals, overruled an excellent candidate. They had a, 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 a lawyer from Vietnam or somewhere. They'd been there a long time. Excellent candidate. Landslide wins you would have had with the locals, and, and they put Keneally in there against their will because Keneally was put number three on the centre ticket where she might lose, so that was safer, and she wanted to get in the lower house because she thinks she's going to be the Prime Minister one day. And so they whack her into Fowler and antagonise the local Labor Party like you wouldn't believe. Now, the candidate that they hurt, and they, they, they just destroyed that woman's career with really wrecked me. She's not running, but another person like her is running, and her supporters are backing them. Di Lee, I think it is. Isn't it? Anyway, she's doing all right, and, 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 and it could be that there's an upset there. And I'm thinking of sending a couple hundred bucks to Di Lee this week just to say, look, I think the way that the Labor Party has inflicted Keneally on that seat is just awful, and I just want to identify with you just for a sense of morality that this happened. And, and, and it, it would really shake machine politics to the core. If he is a captain's pick that gets put in and the voters say, well, you can go to hell, but kicked out the captain's pick. That would be a great thing for democracy, wouldn't it? I, I, I completely agree. Um, I, like the, our local Labor candidate, Lindsay, is a fellow called Trevor Ross. Like a local firefighter for like 40 plus years is Trevor. Um, excellent local candidate knows the area like the back of his hand, knows what it's like to live in Western Sydney like the back of his hand, and knows the struggles and trials and what matters to people of Western Sydney. Now, in another world, it's Trevor Ross who gets flipped out for Keneally um, or any of the other, you know, stunning local candidates around. Um, and it's just really unfortunate that it happened to Tuli and Fowler. So it, it really annoys me when you see the state executive going, you're an excellent local candidate, but too bad, here's Christina Keneally instead, because it can happen in any seat. Like I said, one of the reasons I'm personally so geared to be on the campaign trail for Trevor Ross is because he's such an awesome local candidate. And what we need in my seat where I live, Lindsay, is a good local candidate who knows what it's like to live in the area because it's a very disadvantaged area and an area that's really neglected by governments. And that area Fowler too, with a strong culturally linguistically diverse Australian population, um, you know, that was crushed during the pandemic and put into longer lockdowns than seats in the northern beaches and eastern suburbs by the state government. Um, that, that area in southwest Sydney is another area which needs a good, strong, local voice who understands what it's like to be a member of that community, who understands what it's like to live in the area. Um, in one of those seats you're talking about, Parramatta, didn't they put Kevin Rudd's mate in there? Yep. What's yep. the name of Kevin Rudd's mate? Andrew Charlton. Yep. Andrew Charlton. He was put in ahead of a couple of... He was another captain's pick put in ahead of a couple of strong local candidates. Is he likely to win there? Or is he yeah, getting... yeah, yeah. He, he looks pretty safe. He looks pretty safe, yeah. Obviously, anything can happen on election day, but he looks like he's... Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I, I, I think it's a bit sad, you know, that, that, that that's happening. But now before we... With the time is running out, but let's get to... A, 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 our good and bad things of the week. 
one of them good, might take a little bit, one of them bad things might take a little bit of attention. Let me start with the, 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 the bad thing first. I, I'm finding it hard to find any good guys in this election, but the bad thing, you, you know, is this gotcha business where every time Albo makes a mistake uh, on policy, and there's no way that any person can have total recall of policies. I've never seen in my life any prime minister who had a total recall of, of every policy. Now, Albo's made a few mistakes. Now, unlike now, Bob Hawke used to get caught out for not knowing all the policies, but Bob had the ability to turn it into a joke and laugh and invite all the, all, all, all the journalists for a beer and they'd turn up and forgive old Bob be all over. But Albo's so damn serious about it all. He looks as if he's wounded, you know. But the whole business of journalists can only get a headline if they have a gotcha question, and that gets a headline. That shows they're not even bloody journalists, mate. They can't even think up a story without a gotcha. And so my opinion of journalists at the moment, except good mates like, like um, Catherine Murphy and a few people, you know, with Paul Bongiorno and a few people like that, journalists, I think got to the low this week am I too emotional or not about this mate? I, I think you're right there are some great journalists out there like you point out um, Amy Ramakis, Samantha Maiden, Laura Tingler some other examples but there's this um I was reading a Crikey article a couple of weeks ago um maybe a month or two ago and it had this great line about journalism and it's when when a dog bites a man that's not a news story but when a man bites a dog that's front page news now <laughs> We've had three years of the most inept, corrupt, stumbling government there's ever been. Um, Scott Morrison would not know substantive policy if it bit him in the ass. Now, whenever you ask Scott Morrison a question, he answers with an unintelligible word salad that in no way goes to addressing the question. And he does that every single question that is asked. But he does that every time. Now, when Albo is asked a question, he gives a fair enough answer to it generally. He'll he'll engage with the journalist and try to answer the question positively. Now we're we're so used to expecting that um, you know the mucky gutter bottom of the barrel answers from Morrison. So it's not news whenever he gives one of those really useless, uninspiring, mm. um, misinformed answers. But when Albo does it, stop the presses, stop the presses. Now we've got a story. Um, and it's just shameful. It's, it's, it's what makes people switch off because gotchas don't matter in the grand scheme of things. What matters is the policy platform each leader wants to deliver. It's crude stuff. Well, now tell me, I started off with a negative. Have you got a positive one this week? Have you found somebody who did, did something good, James? Yeah, so um, last night um, I was um, invited by uh, my, one of my bosses and close friend Kingsley Liu to the Chinese Australian Forum's political candidates dinner. Um, Adam Bant was there, um, Mark Dreyfus was there, um, and Senator Andrew Bragg was there. So that's the leader of the Greens, the Labor Shadow Attorney General and a federal Liberal Senator. Independent candidate for North Sydney, Kylie Fink, was meant to show up. She had COVID, so she wasn't able to attend. Um, the first three I mentioned were all there in speaking roles. Um, there were some other um, local candidates there as well, like local councillors and whatnot from the Chinese Australian community. Um, Jenny Leong, the uh, state Greens MP for Newtown, was there. Greens Senate candidate David Shoebridge was there. Like there are a lot of people there, is my point. But the, the speakers were um, Bragg, Ben, and Dreyfus. And it, it was a very good night. Um, there was a question and answer 
uh, from the crowd. Um, and as we've discussed on this show before, the Chinese Australian community is one that has been really, really marginalised, really thrown under the bus by this current government. Um, so it was, to my mind, um, someone remarked on this on the night as well, that um, for Labor to send out the Shadow Attorney General and for the Greens to send out their leader, that really says to the Chinese Australian community, you know, that not, not to detract from Andrew Bragg, I mean, he seems like a decent enough bloke, but Labor and the Greens both sent out, you know, really heavy hitters. And that says to the Chinese Australian community, we're here to listen. We're not sending someone out tokenistically to pat you on the head. We're here to, to listen. Well, I'm pleased to hear that because the Chinese community, the, about the dinner, I mean, not about that, uh, they have been, they've actually had people spit on them in the streets claiming that, you know, they're, 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 they're friends of presidency and, you know, whatever. You know, that, that's been awful. I did have a good, I can't think of the name, but, but some doctor in Sydney uh, got on the social media, made a very point, clause that point that COVID used to be for two years, nothing, the first 15 minutes of any news program was on COVID. And since the start of the Ukraine war and then our election coming in, you're flat out hearing a single word about COVID now. That doesn't worry me personally because I think full of hearing about COVID all the time. But this week, I think there's something like 50,000 Aussies got COVID and something like 50 people died right across Australia of COVID and it didn't get a headline. Now, that would have been a scandal and a tragedy on which governments would fall a few months ago. And so uh, this bloke, I can't think of his name, got up and said, you know, can we just take a little bit of notice of the fact that there still is COVID out there and it's not gone away? And I thought that took a bit of courage to sort of stand up and say that. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Um, and I think you're right. It, it is strange. Like, like I suppose we've regrettably become desensitised as a population to it, is what happens, um, which is kind of sad because you're right, 50 lives lost is a tragedy, however you cut it. Um, and like you say, if, if this happened you know, in the middle of the first lockdown or something. Yeah, it would have been a riot about, you know, about, about the whole... Now, you've mentioned... Who's your nasty bloke of the week? Um, well, th th this is pretty trivial. Um, as people who follow me on Twitter may know, with all the crap from the Pittsburgh Penguins hockey team that I like, that's the hockey team I follow over in the USA, um, they are now, they've now made the playoffs and they are playing the New York Rangers in round one of the playoffs. So my bad guy for this week is the New York Rangers, who we hope lose the next three games to the mighty <laughs> Pittsburgh Penguins so the Penguins can progress to the second round. <laughs> oh, you, you'll, you'll live to another day, James. Now, now we're, in, now we're, starting, we're near, near the end of our, of our half hour and, and we're... Uh, uh, we, we got to look to next week. I mean, I'm going to vote this week. The poll's open now, so there's some candidates. Once people, once they vote, doesn't matter what the pollies say, they're not going to change their vote. So the pollies speak to a diminishing crowd of possible converts. Now, so I'm going to vote this week. Get out the road. I'm uh, I'm uh, going to vote for the best candidate in my seat. We don't have an independent running, but I'm going to vote for the best candidate out of the the folks that are there, and so I'm going to vote. And so the election is now sort of, you know, you know, really on now. Uh, sometime this week, I presume that Morrison's going to launch his campaign or is he not having a launch? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, the idea of this official launch is so stupid because, like, you know, we, we've had, like, 
a, a year of election campaigning. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's a bit of a clown show, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And so we might get a bit of a trend as happening, but I, I believe that uh, in the final two weeks, the people of Australia are going to see that it's time to give the major parties a kick in the backside so they reform themselves. And because and, and, the number of people actually involved as party members around Australia it, it diminished in my lifetime greatly. And, you know, and I doubt if you put all the political parties together across Australia, whether you'd have 100,000 people out of 25 million who would bother to go to get involved in a party. So I think, I'm just hoping Australia going to move to give them a kick in the pants and then we'll get some reform of the, you know, of the system and we'll have some good... Uh, I mean, my forecast at this stage is that Labor Party is a minority government with some responsible independents and the Greens supporting them on things, you know, they'll come to an agreement. There's no, 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 no confidence votes. They'll give them supply. They'll discuss what they'll pass and what they won't. But I think you'll find both the Greens and the independents are not going to be blocking people all the time because they want to, they want to get re-elected in three years' time. They want to be able to say to the electorate, well, look, the home parliament work and we worked and we achieved all these things. But I think you'll find great cooperation because we're not dealing with ratbag people. So I think by next weekend we'll start to see the trend more heading that way. What do you think? Just to um finish up, I'll I'll reference something that both Adam Ban and uh, Mark Dreyfus highlighted at the um, at the dinner last night. And that's under the, the Gillard slash green slash oak shot slash Windsor slash uh, crook government um gillard the greens and the independents um the nbn first came about um the carbon tax first came about now whether or not one approves of the carbon tax it's undeniable that's a major policy reform the children in medicare came about and the royal commission on child abuse was just 400 pieces of legislation in that year with the hung parliament. For the most of there's a schedule out this morning showing prime ministers in three years all down. How, what a lot of it. Gillard is top number one in the list since 1901 for a prime minister who's passed the most legislation. And she had to do that by dealing with the hung parliament. Now, Elbow had a big job in that. He used to get around making sure the independent bad. So did Gillard. He met him every week. But that hung parliament produced the greatest amount of legislation in the history of the parliament. So let's have another one. That's my view. Let's have another one. Well, James, it's been good to talk to you and, and, uh, and we'll look forward to, uh, uh, to next weekend. I'll get up early on Saturday morning so I'm ready next, uh, uh, next Saturday. But it's good to talk to you again and you go well during the week and, uh, and bye for now. And you too, Ev. Have a great week and enjoy voting. Thanks. Thanks for listening, people. Ciao.